thanks for taking the time to join me. Um, I'm loving your work and everything, and I I love your your recent um, post post on social media about how you were the only non African American on your team, and I yep. think based on what we're going through in this society and with the killing of African Americans and just the protests and all the injustice. I want to hear your story. I want to hear how you relate to, you know, the, the, the non-traditional um, athlete, the minority athlete. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll let you um, take it from there. But I first want to just, you know, shoot out your social media um, plugs um, on Instagram. I'll put in the comments. And um, you're the owner of Pace Fitness Academy the shrimp coach at Indy Fuel. You're the founder of Pace Basketball Academy. And again, I'm loving your work and I love everything you do. Um, so take it away and then we'll just have a, a conversation from there. Yeah, man, I love this. I, I think it's a really important thing to do. I think this is, um, you know, it's a necessity. It's, it's no longer something that we can just kind of passively try to make happen. It has to be a more aggressive approach. And I think that although there have been so many people trying and so many people fighting for it, you, myself included, like it's now time. I think it's evident that some of the work that we've done has, has been great, but it, there's another level that we have to reach. And um, right. that's what I'm, I'm down to do and, and do as many of these calls as I need to, to get the word out there and to have conversations with other coaches and, and learn, not only educate people on my perspective, but learn other people's perspective as well. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. And, and honestly, to be honest, man, it's where I've been at for a long time. And I'm glad that the narrative is being more, more and more publicized, right? especially in our community, especially in our industry. Right. Yeah. 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 Great. I think by what's happening now, it'll, it allows a conversation, although it's mm -hmm. a social one, it allows, yeah. it, it allows it to be more, uh, a more comfortable organic yeah. conversation. So mm -hmm. the, the conversation of race when you walk into a gym or a fitness center, it's not like, oh, you know, I have to train him or her because they're a minority. It's all inclusive now. I get to train mm -hmm. them. I get to learn from their past experiences and the fitness industry is such a diverse field, but how do we as minorities, kind of African-American and other minorities make it to that top level in the field? You know, because right. I think sometimes there was a grandfather approach into the field, you know, for a non-minority. Now, you know, more is being exposed with social media, on a merit-based approach. So like, how do we get there? How do we have those conversations with those that kind of have, I don't want to say their foot on the industry, but have the influence that can make the changes for like the NSCA? Um, because I don't think there really should be an NSCA diversity committee. There is, but I think if there was more inclusion with minorities in the actual NSC, NSCA ranks, it wouldn't have to be a diversity. Um, of, exactly. You know. No, I agree, and I think it, it starts with it starts with you know, like I said, these conversations, but also the fact the fact of the matter is that we have to get more people, more diversity in our leadership roles, um, and even outside of the industry. Um, you know, like I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. And I was saying how I, I was lucky enough and blessed enough to have basically the three most in, influential men in my life are minorities. So my dad is Mexican. My business partner is African-American. And my coach growing up from the time I was like third grade until I went to college was African-American. So, so, you know, I'm raised by a Mexican man. And, you know, my two other dads, if you will, are right. black. So I was blessed enough to be able to be raised with that diversity and led by 
um, led by these minorities. And my elementary school uh, uh, principal was a black guy. My middle school assistant principal was a black guy. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's not a, it's not a shock for me mm-hmm. where my biggest mistake is taking that for granted mm-hmm. and, it's, and, and not, and not spreading that message to other people. Like just because I am and so um, exposed to diversity, my, my biggest mistake has been assuming that other people are like, or grew up how I grew up, you know? So, so while racism was, you know, obviously something that has affected me and my family as well to a, a much, much lesser, much lesser degree, I think that if I would have been able to realize the, the magnitude of the issue and the magnitude of my perspective, how unique it is, and, and be able to share that, then I think I would have been able to impact a lot more people. Would I've been able to prevent, you know, the level of racism that we're at now? I I don't I don't know. But if I could change ten people's minds in ten years, right. you know, that's a big impact. But you know, going back to your original question, I think that, like I said, for me, it was great because I had leaders, I had minority leaders in my life mm-hmm. from birth. And so that I think is where we're missing. You know, we need to have minority teachers. We need to have minority administration in our schools, in our hospitals, in our, um, you know, every setting. And not because they're minorities, though, not not giving them the job because we need to meet some criteria and, and make some quota. Really giving them a fair shot and saying, you know, how qualified are you? And, and how can you help our program with diversity and inclusion? So, yeah, yeah. you know, that's kind of my thought process. And um, like I said, you, you never want to obviously pass up on somebody who's extremely qualified, no matter who they are, what they look like. Right. But the amount of qualified black men, qualified black women that don't get the chance, don't get the opportunity right. to lead our youth, right. that's where we're falling short. And I think you know, as you and I both know, like in elementary school, man, some kids are at school more than they're with their parents. So, so that's, that's the, the, the the kind of path I think would really, really help from a grassroots level. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And same story here, you know, I have African-American dad, but they, my parents put me in an environment where there were other, you know, cultures. So I yep. knew kind of how to interact with them. And so that's what my wife and I, we have my son in that same environment because we yeah. say, hey, you know, this is who you need to be around. Um, not because we don't like our own race, but because you need to learn how to have those conversations. You need yeah. to learn how to be in a room with those people. You need to learn, I mean, not those people, but just different types of people. You need to yep. learn, you know, how to and going to the to the language education you need to learn those things so you can have the 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 right position now it's unfortunate that we have to do that as minorities i think i was reading some instagram posts or some facebook social media posts saying the african americans or minorities have to speak the language of others just to get their foot into the room or at the table so they have to change their whole approach but I do agree yep. there is a certain level of professionalism that some might not have. But being around those, around different people allowed me to have the conversations to not see color, you know what I'm saying? But to, mm-hmm. you know, accept and love everyone as my beliefs are. So for example, when I started in the field, I had the non-traditional approach um, um, Nick Tominello, Dan John, and Joel Seaman, you know, they kind of helped me, you know, mm-hmm. and I was able to adapt to them because of how I was raised. So yeah. then in college, um, Dr. Rodney Gaines kind of helped me, but I was around other different cultures. So I saw color, but I didn't really see color and I didn't, and didn't really see any 
bias in the fitness industry. So coming up, um, went to a predominantly white school and elementary school, um, and then went to a predominantly African-American high school, and then in college, of course, it was mixed. So, you know, I, I've learned by starting in the field in college, learning how to deal with people, you know, yep. et cetera, like that. So I think, like you said, we need to have those conversations, but we need to have, we need to be and try to put the people, the minorities in the room, et cetera, like that. But then how do we face the conversations, the issues with that's going on now? So for example, you train athletes, minority athletes, and you do a great job training them. At the same time, you know they're struggling in the inside about what's going on. <laughs> so mm -hmm. how do you have that conversation? Because I've read many books, I've seen many posts, especially from the fitness field and those in our field, which are great people, but they're saying, you know, hey, we're with you, you know, we, we relate to you, but you can't really relate to somebody if you have not walked in their shoes. Yeah. You know, for example, um, I grew up in Washington, D.C., one of the rough neighborhoods in Southeast Washington, D.C. My parents had to move me out of there before I got into trouble, but I was around everything. You know, I had yep. guns pulled on me. You know, I've been pulled over by the police. And to the extent today, when I'm jogging outside at five in the morning, I still have to wave at the police to 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 make sure to let them know. Yeah, let them I'm know. <laughs> you yep. know, and you know, and I'm like, that's crazy. But thank God that he's allowed me to be friends with some cops, and there are some great cops that I have as friends out there. But how do you have those conversations with your athletes, knowing that they're they're struggling right now, it's tense right now, and we can't just say, oh, I feel you, you know, this and that, but I'll, I'll, go ahead, I'll let you. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's really, it's really, um, you know, this comes back to relationships, right? So a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm so, so into building relationships and communicating with our athletes and the X's and O's of training it to me is just so easy. Like it's easy, man. Anybody can build a great program and get athletes results. Right. But I'm really into the relationship aspect of it and getting to know these, these people as humans and getting outside of what they do, you know, as a, as a job or as a sport. Right. It's, it's more about who are you as a person. So, you know, to be honest, man, a lot of my athletes and I have, been having these conversations for years for years and and maybe not to the depth that we are now or the relevance that we are now but it's not something that popped out of nowhere for us right. and you know I don't I here's a here's an interesting example and um you know this this is gonna this kind of puts I like to hold myself accountable just like I would hold anybody else accountable right so, like you said, you grew up in a rough neighborhood in D.C. and you've seen shit. And you can I cuss on here? Sorry. Go ahead. You go. Right. So you, you've seen you've seen some stuff and and been involved in stuff. And that's kind of you know the I, I like to say I, I grew up in a a good part of a really bad area, right? So I grew up on the east side of Indianapolis. Great family, great home, but in a bad area. You know what I mean? Like surrounded by I could have easily chosen a different path. I could have easily gone off path. I, I've had so many of my friends and, and people that I grew up with go the other way. And so, um, you know, but I grew up, uh, I'm, I'm half Mexican and I'm half white. And my whole life, I've never really, I, I've had like this identity crisis, right? I don't, I, I'm not fluent in Spanish anymore um because or really at all anymore because my dad grew up a minority in a, in a rough time where it wasn't okay to be a minority right. so he wanted the best for me and my siblings and said right. hey we're yeah. gonna speak english we're gonna speak english in the house right? right my dad english was a second language for my dad so i've never felt mexican enough for for my mexican for the mexican community right at the same time i've never really felt white enough for the white community okay. and the black community brought me in with open arms. Right. You right. know what I mean? Cause I grew up playing sports. I grew up around, you know, an urban environment. Right. So 
so for me, my whole life, I felt embraced by the black community. I'm like, okay, you know, they have brought me in and embraced me with open arms, right? So now the the bad part about that is I got all the perks. I got all the perks of being a part of that culture. I got the culture, you know, the music, the clothing, the swag. But because of my privilege, I don't look like them. Mm. So I didn't experience any of the bad things. Right. You know what I'm saying? So so for me, as a minority, um, I didn't fully, as a minority who was, you know, kind of, dabbling in all these different cultures i didn't use my privilege to help as much as i should have right right which is what i'm realizing now because because you know as as cool as it is to say like i i grew up in you know so many diverse friends but but if i would have been a, a better leader at a young age i would have been able to bridge the gap for right. so many people right because Growing up playing sports, you know, it, like you said at the beginning, as as one of the only non-African Americans on all of my teams, that could easily go into any white neighborhood with no problems because I look white. I should have been able to bridge that gap better. So, so that just I say that to give you a little bit of a context on kind of where I see this through, because because the the you know the black community has been so accepting to me and so now knowing that i i take it upon myself to then be that bridge right. to have these conversations with all of my athletes but not not even just focusing on the black ones who i know are are hurting inside but everybody right. who may not understand you know and and to be quite frank and and not very politically correct. Mm. I think that this is a white person problem. Mm. You know, this is like racism needs like non-African American people need to fix the problem because we're the ones that are showing that action. You, does that make sense? No, no yeah, I understand. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. No, like no. African American man is gonna hate another African American man simply because they're black. Mm -hmm. Other races can't say the same thing. So, you know, it's up to, um, I, I think the term right now is they're they're calling them like white allies, right? So, it's up to the white allies to to bridge that gap. We have to speak up with the black community and with all you know people of color and, and minorities because it's it's our communities that are doing these things yeah so yeah. we have to be the liaison we have to be the ambassadors like we have to be the ones that say like like in my post that you were talking about people are too comfortable within their racism and privilege what you have to you have to make other people uncomfortable by having these conversations publicizing them so Maybe one of my friends is gonna listen to this and deep down inside, he's having thoughts mm -hmm. of racism or uh, you know, just prejudice. Right. He's having those thoughts, he's not expressing them, you right. know, but, but he's having them. Right. And maybe he hears this and he's like, shit, I can't say, I can't tell Justin how I feel because I know he's not gonna stand for it. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's the key. And, and so, like you're saying, going back to our athletes, um, it's just, you know, making sure that there's a good dialogue and making sure that obviously they know where I stand and, and because, because we have been having these conversations and, but the key is creating, um, since day one, my gym has always been a place of, of safety right. for everybody, yeah. um, no matter what your color is. So right. there's trouble everywhere. Right. So I wanted this gym to be a place where people can come work hard and be safe and not deal with whatever outside things are happening in their community. So, yeah. um, you know, for me, it's just been just being really transparent and, and trying to trying to be as trying to teach people where I feel they need to be taught right. and then also trying to accept 
right. info and knowledge where I feel like I need to be taught because I'm I'm definitely no expert and don't have all the answers. Yeah, yeah, and neither do I, you know. <laughs> and that's right. why we're having a conversation. And um, I forgot who wrote the book, but I want to title this and other series, you know, Crucial Conversations, because it is one. Me and my buddy, you know, who who is a um, Caucasian individual, we train together in the gym, and he's like one of my best friends. Um, mm -hmm. And I say that because we're able to have the tough conversations, and, yep. and that was like, you know, I have to explain to him, you know, what's really going on. He understands, but he, he doesn't. So, for example, when I've trained at high schools and stuff, and like the private high schools where the majority is Caucasian, you know, it's kind of easy because they have, like you said, the African-American friends to adapt them into their culture. So when I yeah. come there, it's not like, oh, this african-american dude is telling me what to do you know it's yep. just the only attitude they're getting is like and it's all of them i don't want to do it because i think i know everything <laughs> yeah. You, know? yeah you know but one thing about the african-american community and i want to track back on what you said some blacks do hate on blacks because of status <laughs> right you know? yeah so they are so for example i live in pg county maryland now and you have some blacks that hate on blacks because of where they live, et cetera, like that. But we don't want to go, go, go into that. <laughs> yeah. But the blacks, they do, like you said, they, from when you were young, been on Tennessee, they did accept you into their culture. And that's one thing about us. If you treat us good and everything, oh, we're going to accept you in. You won't be, oh, yeah. you know, our, 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 our boy, our girl for life, you know, and everything. Because we're, yep. we're, we're loyal people. But if you are going to, or whomever is going to like kill us or, you know, any minority, et cetera, like that, and do the way that they're doing, then it's going to breed that kind of like contempt, like, you know, it's 50-50, like I have, I want to accept them, but I have rage over here, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's my thing as a believer, as a Christian, that's my beliefs. I'm always trying to show love, always trying to show forgiveness. You know, I don't get it right all the time, but I think right. that's where, you know, another thing is how do we, and this is another question, how do we stop being silent in the fitness industry, but how do we, you know, um, implore forgiveness, you know, show them how to forgive so we can move forward. So this is at a time now that a lot of people are silent. The, I'm reading all the social media posts and the social media posts are good. But I listen to a lot of YouTube, a lot of business people, a lot of spiritual leaders, and it's really, and I hate to say it, it's time to stop the social media posts because you can read all you want to unless you take action. You got to take action. Right. And I think the silence is behind the social media posts because people don't know how to take action. Even the, the, the greatest shrimp coaches that had their podcast about leadership, et cetera, like that, they're still silent because they don't know how to take action. So, and yep. and, I, and I believe you already answered the question on how you take action, how you stop being silent, and that's by engaging your athletes by, you know, when they come in, they can relate to you because you're down to earth, you know, you play the music, et cetera, and stuff like that. And you've been in some of their houses to see how they live. Some of the coaches have never been in the hood. Some of the coaches, yeah. you know, they have never seen an African-American or minority sleeping on the floor or whatever, sharing this. And some Caucasians have. So not all of them have not. But for the majority, especially in the industry, and then when we have these summer camps and everything like that, how do we as coaches relate to, to them you know, to the African-Americans, to the minorities, without being silent. For example, I did a strength and conditioning camp in Ohio several years ago, and the leaders were Caucasian. So as an African-American man with, and I don't like throwing my qualifications around, but qualified, I know stuff. You know, I said, this, we don't need to do this. We don't need to do that. You brought me in here. But I can see the tension, like, okay, well, this African-American man is telling me what to do when I know, you know, but yeah. I'm leading a, a group of inner city kids that have, 
they have gotten girls pregnant at 15 to 16. You know, they were on parole and allowed to come to the camp. You know, so how do we stop being silent? But how do we really, and as we kind of close, close out, how do really, we really continue to relate? How do we stop the social media posts and really take action or have more conversations or even when things get back to normal, you know, because there's tension because we're being at home all the time too. You know, right. how do we get back to a normal? So when gym, more gyms open, I know your gym just opened, what, about two or three weeks ago? We opened this week, okay. Monday. Okay, awesome. Awesome. So I know your athletes were great to get back, ready to get back in and you were ready to, you know, yeah. as well, especially when you're, you know, when for some, that's their only income. You know, exactly. Yeah. And everything like that. So for the for the strength coaches that are that that are that are listening, um, how can we get more one African Americans on talks like this, more um and and more conversations and two, again, and I, how can we stop being silent? Because I think people will look at this and say, Well, it's great, but I'm still gonna you know, stay in my circle. I'm still going to do what I want to do. I'm still going to relate with those people that I want to relate with. And sometimes it might, the racism is not on the surface. It's kind of hidden, you know? Yeah. Well, for example, like I was, I like to watch with Last Last Chance You was on Netflix. You know, that was, that was one yep. of my shows. And it was a statement that the guy made at the end. I forgot who it was, but he said, they just want us here because they know they're going to make money. We're going to win and they're going to make money. So that's how a lot, a lot of African-Americans feel when they go into situations like that, especially, you know, into, into college or even in like the business rank, because they have, like you said earlier, they got to meet a certain quota or they, you get more money because you have more minorities. So I know that the questions were too here and there, but how do, where do we go as we kind of um, closed out close out and how can we encourage the other coaches that are listening to to contact you for more talks or contact myself for more talks there are a lot of a lot of african-american minorities in the field that i might not know you know i only know one or two or three that are kind of putting articles out there um, and I might be included in one of those, but, but yeah, I know yeah. there are more that's not getting the opportunity. And I don't know if it's because of race or because of merit, but you know, how do we go from here? Do we start our own magazine that it just that includes everybody or, you know, it's just, it's so yeah. many. There's so many, I mean, there's so many ways. I think like, so breaking it down from the ground level on, you know, how to break the silence or turn it into action. I think the the first thing that anybody has to do, like racism aside, let's just say like you just want to make a change impact somehow. I think you have to just drop your own ego and your own agenda and just shut up and listen to people, you know? So when you have a conversation or or when you genuinely want to learn, I think just soaking stuff in. And, and, you know, to be honest, I don't think that it's something that a lot of people are doing in general and in our industry, every, like, you know, there, there's definitely um, a market for conferences and clinics and stuff like that. But there's also a separate market of coaches that don't go to those conferences or clinics because they just think they know it all. Right. There's nothing, there's nothing there that I can learn. I don't want to go, you know? And so that attitude in, in all aspects of life lead us to no progress. And so whether it has to do with racism or whether it has to do with diversity and inclusion or whether it has to do with uh, programming, like you have to lose your ego and just realize that you have like, Nobody knows it all. Nobody has their stuff together. Nobody like has every single aspect of their career or life mastered. Some people are better than others. Some people are better X's and O's coaches than me. So like if Cal Dietz was talking about programming, 
I'm going to listen. Right. He's, he's, um, he makes masterful programs, he does. right? He does. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in my opinion, I'm just going to use me for an example because I, I really do think that I'm good at it. If, if I'm talking about relationship building, I think that I think I have a, 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 a lot of value to offer. Right. So there's, there's a lot of people that I think, or let's say like, you know, somebody like, like Brett Bartholomew, right? Like he's big into communication and stuff like that. I think he has some really, really valuable things to offer. So if he's talking about what he's dedicated his life to, then that is something you should listen to. So, sorry, one of my athletes was just leaving. No, no, you're good. And, 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 and uh, she's an HBCU athlete that we were just talking about right before I jumped on here with you. We were talking about, you know, just everything. And, and she's somebody who literally I seek knowledge from. Okay. Like, you go to an HBCU and, 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 like, again, we've been having these conversations for years. So it's just cool that she walked in and said hi as, as I was doing this. But... But, you know, so anyway, like, it goes back to dropping your ego and, and recognizing where people people have devoted their lives to certain topics. And so when you have, when you seek that expertise, I think um, it's very wise for, for us to listen and, and put our listening ears on and just soak up all the information. Right. And so by doing that, I think we turn ourselves into um, – ambassadors for whatever they're talking about so again like speaking generally if it is programming or if it is communication or if it is diversity now then we take that and we we say okay let's process this information let me see how i can fit this into my lifestyle or my you know my coaching or whatever and then you try to deploy that in in whatever way you see fit right so in the specific realm that we're talking about now, diversity, inclusion, um, I think that having, like going back to, you know, how we started having these conversations and just being really, really inquisitive and, and transparent with people. Hey, I want to learn more about what you're going through. I know even though I'm a minority, I can never feel what you're feeling right now. I can never, ever say that I've been fearful for my life when I go for a jog in the middle of the day. I can never say that. So, and I don't want to pretend like I could ever feel that, but I want to understand as much as I can so that I can turn the pain that you feel into passionate progress for me to pass that on to people because that's the only way there has to be this passing on of of information feelings and knowledge for us to actually make some changes because i i believe that a lot of things are learned behaviors in this realm i don't think that when i came out of the womb i was any different than the guy who who murdered George Floyd. He was taught, right. he, he was taught to be and think that way. Right. Yeah. So w- that's where we have to figure out how to infiltrate those thoughts and actions. Right. Because we're all born mm-hmm. into the same world and our environment shapes us. So yeah. if we can change people's environments, right. you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I think a cool a cool like study that I always go back to. Typically, when I talk about this study, I'm talking about weight loss, but I think it applies to this. There's something called ego depletion, and it's basically a study that brought these these people in, and they said we're we're doing a study on you on taste testing, and they had radishes, raw radishes, and chocolate candy, and they said basically you need to eat one or the other. They assigned them a group and then they told them, do not eat anything, but what we tell you to eat. And then after they ate that, they said it was some cognitive test where then they had them do like brain teasers. Right? So the people who ate the radishes, um, 
ate the radish, and then they did their test. The people who ate the chocolate ate the chocolate, then they did their test. What they found was that the people who ate the radishes gave up quicker and more often on their test than the people who ate the chocolate because they were spending so much energy trying to use their willpower to not eat the chocolate. Right. Because they were told, they were told, only eat the radish, only eat the radish. Chocolate smelled better. The room smelled like chocolate, cookies. You know what I'm saying? So the point of the study is that your environment will ultimately win. You could have a, all the willpower in the world, but it's not an infinite structure. You will run out of willpower. So when you run out of willpower, your environment will take over. So if you're in the, in the concept of weight loss, which is usually what I use this example of, if you're meal prepping, if your pantry stocked with good food, if your fridge is stocked with good food, then when you run out of willpower and you're like, damn, I want a cheat meal, you go in the fridge, all you have is healthy food. So in the concept of racism, if your environment is healthy, if you are brought up by diverse people, uh, inclusive people, people that really are empathetic and, and really want to see the world be a better place, if that's your environment, then that's going to be who you are as a person. And so, um, you know, I kind of got off path there, but, you know, basically I'm saying, you know, the, the, the action has to start with, with the, with us as leaders in whatever industry we're in and trying to get a grassroots approach where, where we're impacting kids at a young age, um, we're educating kids at a young age. We're, we're allowing reverse mentoring, which is what I say. Like, if you, if, if you know more than me about a subject, but I'm chronologically older than you, I'm going to flip that and let you mentor me on that subject. Because while I have more life experience, you have more relevant experience in that subject. So, you know, even with kids in technology, man, like I got my first iPad, like when I was like, 23 like today's high school athlete has had their first ipad since they were like in the fifth grade so they know that more than me so i can learn from them you know so it it just goes back to that seeking knowledge seeking to understand that way you can absorb that information and then spit it back out at whoever you feel needs to be touched with it if that makes sense no yeah 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 no definitely that was that was great and it's like you said, just the environment. And I think now that we we have a generation that's coming up that's seeing all of this. Like oh, the, yeah. all the racism, all the killing. Um, like my son, he watched it, the George Floyd's, you know, death on TV, and he was just like shocked. And I had to explain to him. And it was kind of hard for me because I never had to talk from my from my dad. You know, I never had yep. to talk until I got in college. And then driving through Virginia <laughs> um, from yeah. Oakland State University, getting pulled over, and you know how Virginia is. I'm um, probably heard, but I thank God that I was never. I know I was stereotyped, but nothing happened. So we're um, raising af- or athletes are coming up now that they might. I don't know. Are they being taught like right from wrong regarding race? I know we teach our son right or wrong we put them in the different environments but those kids are they being taught saying okay he's just an individual like me so the inner city kids we need to grab them while we can and put them mm-hmm. in the uh or see what environment that they're that they're really in and change their minds up now because i can see if no one gets to them now it's going to be strength coaches whomever they're going to have a hard time because they're going to come into into their programs, into colleges, you know, from lower level to higher level, with that attitude, unless it's not attacked right now. Yep. You know. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think we um, we always talk about, you know, as strength coaches, how much impact we can have, you know, but we always say that within in the lens of sports, right? Right. right. Yeah. But but what we fail to realize is like. We spend, especially as kids get more advanced, we spend more time with them than their sport coaches, than their the best friends or their sometimes their parents. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, for me, I take great pride in that. And I, I really enjoy, um, you know, obviously working with everybody, but working especially with, um, you know, African-American young men athletes, because I think, you know, statistically that is, that is who is at such a great risk right now. Um, in this country, we've seen it time and time again, and it's the same story. And it's always, it's always something where, you know, I just feel that if I can get, if I can impact these kids, Right. And, and my business partner, so I have a business partner who's co-owner of the gym with me. He's, uh, he's African-American. Mm-hmm. So learning from him as well. And then they get to learn from him because he's, I'm 30, he's 44. So we have a, a very diverse age group. And then we're both also diverse in, in terms of like demographics and ethnicity. Right. So it's a, it's a ladder of learning. You know, I get to, we all get to learn from each other because, my business partner grew up having issues as well, you know, as a black man growing up in the, in the eighties and nineties, that's a, that's a whole nother thing, you know? So he's passing those lessons on to me. Um, again, going back to my dad, Mexican, Mexican um, parents are immigrants. He's growing up in the seventies and eighties having similar issues. And so I, I'm, lucky to learn from these people and then just doing my part to do whatever I can to use my privilege to pass that on. I think that that's one thing I do want to hit on people like the whole concept of white privilege. People take it as a hit to the ego, like white privilege. First of all, I've just been using privilege because I think um, every race to an extent has some sort of privilege. that, that if you look deep enough, you can find something. Now, obviously, we're looking at non-Black people who have privileges because of the color of their skin or who have better opportunities because of the color of their skin. Right. So people think privilege means you've had this easy life, right? It, that is not the case. You know, I know plenty of people who have had so many obstacles um, in their lives and have had rough, rough lives, but their skin color is not what's giving them the problem. Does that make sense? So, so I think that term needs to be understood. White privilege isn't taking a jab at you saying you've had this easy life. It's saying the challenges in your life are not because of the color of your skin. They are from something else, whatever it may be, you know, I'm not downplaying anybody's issues, but that's the big takeaway because people need to use that privilege for good. Like going back to our conversation earlier, when the black community takes you in with open arms and says, you know, hey, you're you're one of us kind of, my privilege is that I'm, I'm not experiencing the downsides that you guys are because of my my skin tone and so it is my duty and every coach's duty out there to use that privilege to bridge the gap and that's where i think people are getting so their egos get hurt because people think privilege means your life was easy and and that's where we have to kind of get over ourselves and say no, your privilege is just that you have you have more of a voice to, you know, feel more comfortable around police officers, feel more comfortable talking in a in a courtroom, things like that, where your your um, you know your your black relatives or friends or family or whatever they can't do that because they don't have that same privilege. So um, I think we have to flip that term. I think we have to we have to we have to say I'm you know, I am privileged. Right. I'm very privileged. I've had adversity in my life, but that doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about the privilege that I have and being able to use that. That's the key. And I think if, if we can do more of that, you know, that's where we can really impact people. And that's just being, right. you know, I think it's just being more aware. Like, you know, I think the, you know, not to, I think it's a touchy subject right now, but that's what we need to bring up is Drew Brees, right? So 
he had a great opportunity to make a statement. And I think, I think he kind of blew it and didn't understand that he had a privilege to make a statement. Right. And so whether or not he issued a statement, he issued an apology, whether or not people want to forgive him, that's your personal choice. But I think in that moment, that timing, that subject, his privilege, he could have used that for a, right. for a huge impact. And right. I think he fumbled it. I think he fumbled it, to be yeah. quite honest with you. Yeah. But, but that's what I'm saying. You have to kind of – you have to be willing to, like, take that ego hit and right. say, you know, like, even though my life has had challenges, my challenges aren't because of the color of my skin. They're not nearly as drastic as um, my friends in the black community. I need to use the privilege to get the word out there and help them fight because um, obviously we need more hands on deck. Yeah. You know, we need more hands on deck. That's the, that's the thing. Yeah. And I agree with you. And I think, you know, for those that are listening to this, um, especially because I know it's going to get up to the higher <laughs> levels, which yeah. is good. It's a conversation needs to be had. And I like what you said about the reverse mentoring. You know, that's something that we in the industry need to look at. And then using our platform. Um, everybody has a platform, whether it's good or bad. So we need to use that platform to make the change. So I, mean, I think this was a great conversation. Um, and I think many more needs to be had. Are there, is there anything else you wanna, wanna add before we, before we get off? Um, no, man, I, I definitely enjoyed it too. I think it was good. I think it's always good, man. Like it's always good to just talk with other people and see where their minds are. And, and, you know, people could listen to this and, and severely agree or disagree with things that I say. Um, but I always, I always, you know, I always just give my truth, my truth. And that's something that, you know, I think nobody could take your, your roots away, your, your upbringing, the way, the way that we're raised makes us view the world a certain way. So whether or not you agree with some of the statements or disagree, I'm super open to that conversation. Um, and so that's the thing, you know, I think that's what we need to do more of. And so if somebody were to say, Hey, you know, I, I think this about what you said or that I'm all ears, you know, and that's where I think we grow where when we get to, um, not playing so much defense mm -hmm. and just letting things come to us. And, and then we, then we observe, we listen, mm -hmm. we, we process what information we, right. we heard and then we may, we implement what we think is valuable. So, um, yeah. you know, I think, I think what you're doing is awesome. And, and I'm looking forward to hearing more people chime in and hopefully we get good feedback on this because, you know, it's something like I said, I'm very passionate about, it and it's something that we've been working on for right. for a long time. And and now that it's super relevant, I think I'm gonna kick it up a notch and and really start to right. publicly, um, you know, put some more stuff out there that might have been behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. You know, um, that's you know that's another thing. I don't want to ramble, but you know, I used to think this will be my last thought because I know you got to roll. That's cool. Um, I. I used to think that if you do good and you do action and and you just do it out of the goodness of your heart that that was enough. Mm -hmm. So, let's say I let's say I donate to a charity and just do that, you know? I just donate and I move on with my life or I I hit a food bank and I donate some food or I you know, um my art family like we do both of those things and and we have a tradition on holidays where we take all the leftover food and we give it to homeless people. Okay. And, you know, I don't, I don't talk about that stuff. Right, and, right, right, right. You know, to, to be quite honest with you um, and, and really transparent, man, we, we have donated, we did a, we did about $40,000 of, of, of free pro bono services to inner city minority kids in 2019. And so, but, but we don't talk about that. And because it's, it's just who we are. Um, my business partner and I have this mutual interest is who we are. So I never thought that I never thought to put it on my story and say, Hey, this is what we did. You know, it, it just didn't sit right with me, but I'm starting to think that we need to sprinkle in. And when I say we just 
you know, coaches in general, we need to sprinkle in a little bit more of publicizing some of our acts of good, right. because I do like the traction that, that has been gained through posting a, a black square on Blackout Tuesday, you know, posting Black Lives Matter. Um, I, I do like the traction of that and how it brings awareness. So, so while I used to be, um, I used to just, I used to feel like weird if I would publicize charitable acts right. because I kind of just thought, you know, do good and move on. Don't publicize that stuff. Now I think we can um, not still not everything needs to go out there, mm -hmm. but I, I do think we can start to bring more social and public awareness to some of these, some of these actions, donations or involvement right. so that, somebody can see it and say, I want the message to be, I don't want the message to be, hey, look what I did. I want the message to be, you should do this too. You know what I mean? So I don't quite have it figured out on how to strategize that, but I think there's something there because like you asked about how do we get the social media to turn into action? I think there's also a conversation of how do we get our silent action to, to properly hit social media so that we can maybe inspire somebody to do the same. So yeah, um, that's just a thought that I've been struggling with over the last couple of weeks. No, no, yeah, that's good. And um, not to keep you longer, but with the words, people kind of hide behind words, you know? Yep. <laughs> so I think yep. they show their feelings behind words, but with the fitness industry or whomever, showing their acts takes more videos like this and that's something i'm getting more comfortable doing too yeah but it's the conversations that need to be had so yep yeah dude i love this this was this was so good man i was well, i really enjoyed um i just enjoyed it man i'm, I'm yeah. really i'm i think that you're on to something here and i think this would be a, a nice a really 